You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, we, uh, we're still, like, just radiating with energy from the, the gallery we went to. Yeah, it was uh, an outstanding display of Pearl Jam memorabilia and uh, Pearl Jam libations, huh? No, that's true. They, they, they had the boxes of wine from Seattle home shows. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, a couple of posts went out on our Instagram uh, over the weekend. Uh, we were invited to a memorabilia uh, gallery installation. I'm not sure what you would call it. Um, in Whittier, California, at a place called Clayton's Framing uh, in Uptown. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was to celebrate the 32nd anniversary of the band which was this past saturday and uh we had some listeners reach out on instagram and say hey love to have you guys come by check out the stuff uh we were free we went down and wow um tony and lupe they both combined their collections and there was some outstanding stuff some posters that i've never seen in person before from 25 30 years ago um, some really wild Eddie solo stuff, sign stuff, tambourines, pics, photos, and the stories behind how these things were acquired uh, was just fantastic. Yeah. So, and, and I, I think at some point we're going to do a series based on Pearl Jam memorabilia, where we have some guests on, some of our good listeners, to just have conversations with us about very special pieces. Because it was the, the the personal touch, the stories about how some of these artifacts, if you will, uh, came to, to to find themselves in the possession of uh, Tony or his brother, because a lot mm-hmm. of his collection was shared with his brother uh, or or, or uh, Guadalupe. And so, I'm really fascinated to uh, just to hear these captivating tales of meeting the band or or. or um, meeting those close to the band or just meeting fellow Pearl Jam fans and coming into contact with these really, really, really rare and unique uh, pieces of, of memorabilia, whether it's, as you mentioned, with a, a drumstick, a, a guitar pick, a, a harmonica, a tambourine, you know, um, it's, it's all part of the fabric of what makes Pearl Jam's fan base such a community. And it's something that, I was watching their Hall of Fame speech. Actually, when I got home from the gallery, I actually watched their induction and uh, <clears throat> there are a couple of performances. And I, one of the things that that Mike talked about in that speech was was how much they enjoy this fan base, how much they enjoy the community that the fan base has created, and how much they uh, enjoy watching us and the things that we do. Um, so. I, I would love to hear more of these kinds of stories, you know, and that was the best part of the night for me. 
I mean, Absolutely. yes, it was it was cool to see some of these amazing posters from 95 and 96 and 98, 99, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I saw my first show poster was hanging on the wall there. Mm. Uh, you know, we talked about Hartford for you. We uh, we had some some great conversations and uh, would love to, to continue that in the future. So, so it's, a, it's a, little, a little bit of an idea for, for another, another series of episodes down the line. It definitely is. And uh, I want to say thank you to Darren for reaching out and initiating this whole thing um, mm-hmm. that Tony yes, and Lupe uh, hosted. And uh, they'll be there. The, the The installation will be there for about a month. Uh, and if you want to know when they're going to open it up again next, um, just go ahead and follow Clayton's Framing on Instagram um, or uh, sites underscore by underscore sounds. Um, that's uh, Tony's uh, he owns a collectibles um, business, and uh, that's his handle. So I, either one of those accounts will alert you to when they are going to reopen, um, or the whatever the next hours are going to be. So that's your ticket, um, and we are in talks with them and maybe um, musicians in the, in the area to do an event there um, over the next handful of weeks to kind of to really kind of nail that home. Uh, because like you said, it's all about the community and the stories behind these pieces was most of the fun, most of the fun. So that was that, that was amazing. Uh, another quick shout out to listener Rob, who shared that he and his wife have family photo albums and, uh, for every year, um, since their first child was born, which is 2013. And can you guess the name of the photo album? albums that they have out every year uh that's send me a photo of of one of the years and there's a there's a title for the for the album and they're all every year is the same title but there's you know different volumes 2013 2014 what's the name Uh, of the album um i'm gonna go lost dogs (laughs) (laughs) it was a lot easier than that paul it's actually some trust Oh, oh, outstanding. So so that's a really cool little tidbit there. So thanks, Rob, for that. And uh, maybe you can uh, show us some some photos you've got in those family portrait or family albums that are Pearl Jam related. I don't know if you've uh, got anything in there worth sharing, but if you want to uh, send it our way, um, we'll be happy to, to, to take a peek because that's just really cool. So there you go. Um, a little bit of business out of the way first as well. If you are so inclined to help the show further than just being an awesome listener. There is of course two avenues. You can uh, purchase a t-shirt. We have two designs. Um, Just DM us on Instagram or Twitter and we will let you know how to make that happen. A third may be coming soon. And that third would be picked by the group over at Patreon. So our patrons, um, one of the things that they get is they're going to help decide what that next t-shirt is. So uh, link in our bio, you can join that if you'd like five bucks a month. Some extra goodies there. And uh, anything else the kids should know? Look at the kids. Oh, my God. What well, about? yeah. They, they, they should know that uh, all Hallow's Eve is on the horizon, my friend. Oh, and God. all the creepy crawlers and all the scary monsters come out. And none are scarier than the algorithm. So please rate, review, and subscribe. That was a long walk. The algorithm. Speaking of feeding the algorithm, uh, our contest, our raffle for the no-code vinyl record is nearing its completion in just a few days time friday october 28th at midnight is the is the deadline to get in your 
uh, review on Apple Podcasts or your rating on Spotify. And just you know, take a little screenshot, send it to us if you're on Spotify so we know. Um, I've seen the reviews coming in. I read one to Paul earlier. We got a little chuckle about it. Um, so that's your chance. And that's open to everybody. I, look, as, as soon as you, I know what you're doing, you're listening to this in the car or during the workout, or, or maybe you're doing some house cleaning, right? I know we got a couple of listeners that, that, that talked about how we actually help them get through their, 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 their daily routines hey, from Paul, time to time. Paul, they, they miss a spot. Oh, uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Carry on. Point is, as soon as the car is parked, as soon as the vacuum is unplugged, as soon as the workout is over, all you have to do, the phone's right there. It's already on, right? We are playing on your phone as we speak. All you have to do is just exit from this episode for 20 seconds. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And if you aren't already subscribed, go ahead and do that. I'm telling you, do that alone. And you are now in the running for this beautiful brand new copy of No Code on vinyl. And as I mentioned last week, even if you already have a copy of No Code, somebody in your life does not mm -hmm. and that somebody deserves something from you well if that doesn't sell you i don't know what will a crisp refreshing <laughs> bottle of elysian <laughs> night owl pumpkin no. <laughs> how many more you got left few no i've probably got about five or six left okay winding down just enough time uh, for, for halloween yeah, yeah okay well this week's episode guys we, we're into minute like nine here of jibber jabber um is a new a new topic a new um idea that we had and it's uh couplets there are certain songs in the catalog that really work well together with another song the peanut butter and jelly if you will of songs it's not like they have to be you know back to back in an album or okay. even a set list but something that thematically or musically or both seem to fit well and maybe it's that they're inverses maybe it's because they're parallel you don't know another geometric terms that i'm not going to name like isosceles um but we thought this could be an interesting exercise but and, and as we went through as i went through i noticed there was more and more and more and more really interesting combinations of songs that that worked well together but we're going to choose three apiece because we know you have, you know, other chores to do, and you know, other <laughs> other places more to reps to. to get in. Yeah, another mile or so to go. That, that guy over there is getting off the uh, the bench press, and you got to get over there pretty quickly. So I understand. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the goal for, for this episode, and we want to do this a couple more times because there's, like I said, so many more that keep popping up into our brains, and it's really hard to kind of go through the entire catalog and be like, yeah. these are the top three. It's like no, they have like 180 songs, you know, so. Um, These are the top three for today. Right now. Exactly. All right. Um, I'm going to kick things off here. I'm going to go with... Which one should I go with, Paul? Um, I'll start with one that I know you're going to be like... Ah, you ready for it? Go for it. Force of Nature and Lightning Bolt. Oh, that's solid. I mean, it's right there in the title. Force of nature, well, okay, lightning fine. bolt, come on. Easy layup. E that's a layup. Uh, both songs are about women 
who have stolen a man's heart. Both songs are about not letting go of that woman that makes you feel alive. And if one wanted to add a third song, you could maybe drop in You Are, maybe even Future Days. There are other mm-hmm. options, like I said. But I wanted to focus on these two. Uh, and it seems to reason that Jill has given Ed a lot of fodder in this arena. Uh, and it's bore some really great fruit. And I have to imagine that, like many songs, these are not literally lifted from Ed's life, but rather, you know, tweaked for dramatic effect, as many, you know, based on true events movies are, or if you want to stay focused on Pearl Jam, songs like Alive. Uh, nevertheless, I find both of these rockers one album apart to be a couple of peas in a pod. Paul, <laughs> strong direct imagery about a strong direct woman who, for all her faults, is strongest attraction in the world for someone. And I suppose if you felt something like that, it's easy to write songs about it, which is probably why he has a couple more in the chamber. But these two, I think, spoke in a very similar way. Uh, and I liked them kind of, you know, I mentioned parallel songs a minute ago. I think that they link up and kind of hold hands in the way that the subjects of leash may, um, as they walk out. So I like these two, uh, as a combination force of nature and lightning bolt. Solid. Good, good choices. Where are you going first? I'm going spin the black circle and let the records play. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's but both are, are, uh, really fascinating homages to vinyl and what i think is interesting is that the first one spin the black circle was not interpreted as such despite what i would say quite transparent lyrics uh you know we've talked in the past on this show about how when this song came out on vitology uh there was a lot of uh misinterpretation and and uh you know lyrics are being misconstrued as as somehow representative of, of doing heroin Mm-hmm. Uh, when in fact, you know, I mean, I, I understand how on a cursory glance, one might draw that conclusion, but spin the black circle. I mean, that's literally what a vinyl record is. Uh, the, the out, or I'm sorry, the, the song is very much a composition that glorifies the experience of um, connecting with music and, and bonding with music and, and um, having music essentially as a companion. And let the records play is, uh, I would say, an inferior composition as far as uh, its ability to to make the same message. That being said, they're essentially songs that say the same thing, um, and it's interesting because you can you can hear the difference in sound. Who Pearl Jam was in the Vitology era versus who Pearl Jam becomes much later on as a more mature act and so what you take away from that you know it could be twofold either a you know where you know what's going on here where's where's this band headed uh but also i think there's a level of uh there's there's less angst it's less about how i spin records because that's the only form of companionship that i can trust and it's more i spin records because you know this is how I can enrich my life, you know, let the mm. records play. So I think that it, it the, the, the two songs actually form a really nice form of, uh, uh, of evolution to a degree, as far as the concept is, is concerned. So I'm going to go with those two. 
Have they ever, and maybe this is a question for some of our, our live uh, Pearl Jam uh, fans to answer, but have they ever played those songs back to back in concert? That's a great question. I don't know. Um, something tells me that they may have played them in the same show. I think it's a little redundant to play them back to back, to be honest with you. I, mm. I think, I look, if you're doing like a, a show for, um, you know, vinyl record day or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you're in a record shop, like they used to do. I think they did those. They did live in easy street. If, if, if you're going to do a show, a small little show at a boutique record shop or something like that, in East Seattle or West Seattle or somewhere else in the country, then I think this would be a fine pairing. But outside of that, it, I think it would be, it's not something I could see Ed putting together on a set list. Yeah, um, I'm quickly over at uh, Live Footsteps. Song before, it looks like has never been Spin the Black Circle. Song after has been 10 times. Mm. So they had done it 10 times back to back. That's weird. Well, I stand corrected. How about that? <laughs> um, all right. Next choice. And by the way, of course, those two songs should go together. That's a, a really, um, I think, that, that's a choice. It's a fundamental choice when it comes to Pearl Jam couplets is those two songs have to live together. Obviously, the whole love of vinyl thing. Those are the most yeah. specific songs about it. So sure. I've got one that might be out of left field. Let's hear and, it. I, and, I, and I'm curious to see what you think about this. There's two songs that I think fit nicely together, almost like Tetris pieces. Alone and Better Man. Alone? Hmm. Hear me out. Hear me out. Listen. All right, so I feel like these songs are inverse versions of each other in a way. Both are about broken relationships, but the breaker is the opposite subject in each song, and the results are also the opposite. So in Alone, a man is cheated on and broken up with. In Better Man, a man abuses a woman, but the woman is afraid to leave. Okay. Okay, so it's like... I like it. It's like black and white and then upside down and right side up. So like they're completely like they're almost like mirrored images, but but in but like upside down versus regular world like Stranger Stranger Things style. Uh, I find this dichotomy fascinating. I think it says a lot sociologically that, and I'm reading a lot uh, and assigning a lot to these characters here. Um, that one woman is strong and confident, if kind of a shitty person, um, takes what she wants and leaves the man to feel alone and shitty. And the other, the man is the piece of shit, but the woman isn't strong and confident enough to get out of the relationship. So what does what does this say about people? What it what do we have enough time to even like break this apart and figure it out? I mean, there's a lot here, um, and I would love to have some sort of like relationship expert or therapist or somebody read the lyrics to these two songs um, and compare and contrast them because I think obviously. These are different stories, but I feel like there are so many things that are the same about them. It's just you're flipping, you're like it's like an on-off switch for a couple of different options for each. So you have option A and B in both, and they're just kind of flip the opposite ways, and so they're kind of on its on their heads. Um, so while one person literally feels alone, the other person figuratively feels alone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I feel like there's. It's almost like a. Um, What's like a Rorschach? What's the one? What's the one? Yeah. Not a Rorschach. Uh, MC Escher. 
Where I just okay. feel like I'm walking the staircase and not going anywhere. Yeah. So I don't know what you think about this. Is this too off the off the off the rails? No, feet? man. I uh, I could dig it. That's it. That's all you got. Look, I think it the the you inverse. It. You hate it. Ugh. No, I don't. Here's why: okay. the inverse is game changer. Because now there are uh, oh, there's there, there's a whole nother layer of That's threats that we that we we could start ma- That's making. What I'm saying. Well, that, that, I'm on that, board. So you weren't thinking about inverse options before. Uh, well, I don't know. Let's let's find out what I got. Oh, up, up <laughs> what a tease, Paul. Okay. All right, so your second choice here is my second choice here is life wasted mm-hmm. and save you. Nice, I like this. Yeah, so song like life wasted is it's very contemplative and reflective, and there there's an assertion that. I'm never going back again to a life wasted. I'm never going to allow myself to think in ways that are unhealthy and toxic and unproductive. I'm going to extricate myself out of that fixed mindset. Save you is the frustration that comes with being with somebody who can't achieve that, Mm -hmm. who can't extricate him or herself out of that fixed mindset. So to a degree, I think I'm, I'm following that pattern that you just set. I think you're right, man. So, uh, yeah, inverse. There you go. Let me ask you this question. How do you feel, or did you even consider swapping life wasted for habit? Oh, yeah. Um, I think a song like Habit would be a fine compliment to save you very easily. Could be a totally different connection, different kind of conversation, though. I think uh, if I'm sticking with the inverse, um, when I think of a song like Save You, I think that what draws me to Life Wasted is the mindset of Life Wasted is what you so badly want to embed in the mind of the subject of, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, the, not the subject of um, Save You, but the person the subject is struggling with. Right. And it's that that inability to achieve that. And yet how life wasted so eloquently well, i shouldn't say eloquently because i don't necessarily think it's an eloquent song but i think that life wasted does a fine job of very very clearly articulating the freedom that comes with this clarity so i think it's it's the uh, the profound nature of reaching a point in your life where you recognize it's just too short to spend on toxicity and uh when you meet somebody that you deeply care about, it's like ah, the, the frustration of, you know, it, it, it's not so easy as just simply turning the other cheek and saying, well, whatever, you know, live and let live. You know what I mean? You, you just, you get sucked in and you don't want to have to, to walk away. It, it, to some degree you can't, mm-hmm. you know? So a song like habit, I think would have paired beautifully with uh, save you, in a similar way to the way uh, Let the Records Play and Spin the Black Circle match up. So I think at, at the time that I was thinking about pairings, I had transitioned a little bit away from uh, the congruent pairing. And I, mm-hmm. I was starting to think inverse because I had a couple more on my list that kind of followed that thread, that, that inverse thread. And this one stood out to me. So I like this one. I like this one. I think it it really, really works. 
Um, I think they really worked well when it's it's not only is it inverse, but the two of them together kind of create um, a complete narrative almost. Yeah. Uh, an example would be and I'm, I'm to gonna, two uh, perspectives. Yeah. One story. Um, there's, there's there are three songs off of um, Tool's album Ten Thousand Days, and if you layer two of them on top of another one, they actually it's like the first one. I, I want to say it's Zombie. And I can't remember the other two songs, but if you literally s- drop them on top of each other in like an editing software, they actually all work together as one thing, almost like a transformer. Really? Yeah. That's outstanding. <laughs> I forget what someone's going to yell at me and for not knowing what it is, but it's, yeah, it's on that record. Um, really, I don't know how the hell you do that and then split them up, but there you go. Uh, but I think it feels like that where you're kind of just like Frankensteining things on top of each other and go, oh, yeah, yeah. let's work together. Um, my third and final choice for this um, go around is probably the very first one I ever thought of when thought of this this idea, this this topic for the show, and that is Jeremy and Rival. Yeah. Uh, Ed made a little speech about these next two songs um, at Pink Pop 2000 before they launched into the debut of Rival uh, to be followed by Jeremy and. You know, of course, both songs are about gun violence, but they're also maybe more significantly about mental health, parenting, and bullying. The gun violence is the consequence. Um, in the former song, the violence is self-inflicted only. In the latter, it's taken out on everyone else before the gunmen take their own lives. Um, or at least that's the Columbine, you know, news story that that rival was um, uh, born from. Uh. the mindset at least uh it's almost like the tragedy evolved in the worst way and unfortunately it's only gotten worse and you know the lately the many many gunmen that have gone into schools and murdered innocent people have felt emboldened and proud of what they did parkland and uvalde come to mind immediately maybe this is the most obvious couplet of songs um but i feel like it had to be here and for many, many reasons, and I'm sure that you've got thoughts on this. So this one to me, I think is probably the quintessential pairing. And I, I think it's interesting that Jeremy was such a, a pivotal part of Ten's fame and, and would, would per, put Pearl Jam on the map. It just kind of blasted them into the stratosphere. Is that, you know, this album came out before Nirvana's Nevermind, actually, despite the fact that mm-hmm. a lot of people at the time thought they were jumping on a bandwagon. By a month. Uh, yeah, I know. Rival was kind of a lost nugget on the inside of Binaural. You know, Eddie's on record in an interview saying, you know, I just, I don't know why more people, that why people didn't like that record. Um, I could think of, of, of reasons people may have for not really connecting with it. Uh, but it it wasn't a song. It doesn't get played as often as maybe I think it could be. And it kind of has that um, uh, kind of dirty rocker feel to it, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, um, but what makes this such a fantastic pairing is that one song is really about this outward projection of rage towards oneself and the effect that that has on traumatizing others. It's like sending a message through harm of oneself. 
Whereas another is projecting that rage and hate outward first. Um, and, and feeling like the only way to truly send the message is to, to, to compound the pain and tragedy that you can inflict so that you can somehow in your own twisted, demented way, um, help others see something. Can you imagine it's not being like, and it's, it's in some world, think about it's a, it's a frightening escalation. Yeah. the, The character in Jeremy, Jeremy singing the lines or writing the lines. All my rivals will feel what I have in store or see what I have in store. Oh, for sure. You know, you but know. instead of, but they make, they make a, they make a turn, they hit a fork in the road and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, they're going to see what I have in store by blowing my, my head off as opposed to they're going to feel the storm kind of thing. Yeah. That's where the, the roads diverge. Mm-hmm. Both. And, uh, well, I, again, Columbine being the inspiration for rival, there's an assumed bad ending for that, uh, uh, subject. But um, what, what I found fascinating about this combination is that it 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 was like I said an evolution. It was the same issue, but an evolution. It wasn't like just another story, like you know, love stories and breakup stories. There's so many of those. There's not really you can't really have an evolution of that. Those are always going to be the same. You know, there's many different flavors of breakup or love, but they're all kind of you know arithmetic arithmetically. Is that a word? <laughs> arithmetically uh the kind of the same kind of thing um but this felt like a like a 2.0 a new way to to take the demons in your head and make someone hurt and that's why i always felt rival I was like wow this was like jeremy hit me so hard and and when i was you know i was 10 but it, i i felt something by it and then when Rival came out, it hit me again because I remember exactly where I was when Columbine happened. I was in photography class and a, a mm. loudspeaker came over the thing. I was I was a senior in high school wow. and the loudspeaker, uh, you know, it announced something. I go, we're like, what? I'm in photography class. I'm in the fucking dark room. <laughs> like I just, it, it just blows your mind. Um, no pun intended. I apologize. Um, to think about how the problem just exacerbated and that these two things can be linked. And if you want to add like a, a subtext third song, obviously glorified G, but man. Yeah. The first two songs I thought of when, when this topic came up, it's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, you've got one more choice. What's it going to be? Um, I'm going to go black and come back. Mm. Um, I will say that I really do feel that, comeback is an extension of army reserve in a lot of ways yes i agree i feel as though in uh in in the song comeback it's really about desiring it's not in a so much unrequited love in the way that black is as much as it is uh, a love that is no longer and one that can only the, the one where the subject continues to pine um Knowing that, I mean, like the, the the line that really stands out to me in this in this song would be this one here. Please say that if you hadn't gone now, I wouldn't have lost you another way. From wherever you are, oh, come back. There's a real sense that the subject has physically lost someone important, and that that person is coming back not necessarily through choice, like as if the person was killed. 
mm-hmm. overseas or or the person died somehow, whatever it is. Um, I'm not saying that that's it, it, it's vague and, and ambiguous enough where I think you could very much say that this is a sister song to black though. So if you wanted to pair this with Army Reserve, I think it's a it's a it's a beautiful narrative. Um, if if you wanted to more linear with, that way, more linear for sure. Yeah. If you wanted to pair it with Black, I think thematically there is a uh, common through line here. There's some congruency here. Uh, all that being said, though, what I find interesting about Black is I, I've always wondered w- what Black was about. You know, so and and. Consequently, I've always wondered, like, what was my my connection to this song? Like, what what, what is it about this song that? And, and I'm not alone in this. Obviously, it's one of the mm-hmm. most popular you know ballads of its time, and and probably almost anybody listening to this right now would argue that it, it it's in their top five to ten. I mean, I've never met somebody who loves Pearl Jam who doesn't like the song. <laughs> but for me, it's just it. I was like over the top in love with the song. I mean, it's the type of song where. Uh, um, but, but I couldn't understand why, you know, and I found it so fascinating too, because I think in our first episode of this podcast, I said that I, it didn't resonate with me at first. I didn't even let it finish. I got like halfway through the song right. and I skipped it. You know, and it wasn't until quite a ways later, you know, weeks, months, I forget what it was that I finally was like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to listen all the, I'm just going to listen to the album all the way through. And I got to certain segments of the song where I was like, oh my God, this is really, really good. And uh, remind me again, the uh, the musician who does this great breakdown on YouTube of Black. Oh, Rick Beato. Rick Beato, yeah. Anyone listening, highly encourage you if you haven't seen What makes this, this song great? Is yes, series. what makes this song great? And uh, just Google that. What makes this song great? Pearl Jam Black. And this video will come up. It's about 24 minutes long. And he will deconstruct musically why you love this song. But <laughs> thematically and lyrically speaking, I, f- I found something interesting. Did a little digging. Go on. So during Eddie's junior year at San Dieguito High School, he was cast in a school play, allegedly. So I mean, th- th- this is uh, from Rolling Stone magazine in 1996. Okay, he was cast in a school play with a, a girl named Liz Gumble. Uh, this was one student, but uh, a grade behind him. That's what she was. So uh, the two started dating. And they became, by all accounts, inseparable. When Gumble went away for a brief vacation with her family, Vetter expressed his grief with typical theatricality. Theatricality, pardon me. He wore her scarf wrapped around his neck every day until she came back, says a classmate. But if Vetter's high school years were less fraught with misery than the seniors claimed, there is little doubt that he did suffer an emotional blow in his senior year when Liz Gumble broke up with him. Friends recall that Vetter was inconsolable after the breakup. Things fell apart for him in senior year. Says a friend, he dropped out of the theater production and someone else had to take over. So I know it had to be something serious because he took the theater really seriously. Vetter left San Diego school shortly before graduation and moved back to the Chicago area to be with his family. So the year that they break up, he doesn't even finish out his, his tenure there. Like literally moves away. Mm-hmm. I can't, I mean, it's, it's Liz, if you're listening, is this true? I don't know. So here's what I'll say though. The, this relationship, right. Mm-hmm. That very well may have sparked black. They started dating in March of 1981. 
Destia, this guy, decided to uh, exit the cosmos and make a uh, unceremonious entrance. So you're into just this, bl- this is all just coincidence of the year it's that this happened. Pure, co- pure oh coincidence. That I know. It's pretty cool. What a long it. walk. It was a long walk, but but I mean, first of all. I, how, how many of you listening even knew the story? But I didn't actually know the story until I read it this week. But uh, well, he, I got something for you right now. Yeah. So there was in um, about a, almost two years ago now. There was an article that uh, on iHeartRadio.com or iHeart.com where a woman claims to rock nine five nine fifty five in Chicago that Eddie wrote black while having sex with her. How about <sighs> that? Her name is Tracy. And she says here, um, Eddie Vedder wrote Black while having sex with her after explaining that she met the Pearl Jam frontman through some friends. Tracy said they hit it off immediately, which led to the moment of inspiration. We were hanging out. This is this is the quote. We were hanging out, and he wrote the first couple lines kind of over my body, she recalled, referring to the lyrics, sheets of empty canvas, untouched sheets of clay. He was on top of me, and then he leaned over and wrote down the words that he said to me. My skin was the canvas and my makeup was clay. Paul? <sighs> is is Tracy to be believed or is, I'm assuming it's Kim know. Neely who wrote that Rolling Stone article. I'd have to pull it up. I, I, I forget. I think that, that I think you're right from 96. I have to pull the source up. But uh, have, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with here. my story. I, I think that the timeline works a little better. I don't know. <laughs> Look, the point is. Yeah, go, go back is, to the couplets. Back to the couplets. Back to the couplets. Yeah. The point is, uh, come back in black, just a great pairing because it's it's about pining for something you can't have back. And uh, wh- whether it's whether you can't have it back because it is love that's unrequited or, or you can't have it back because it's love that is that is simply lost to you in some other tragic way. Um, it, it's the, the, the feeling of loneliness and emptiness that comes with that loss that both songs beautifully highlight. And uh, I think the, the, the ending of each composition is, is very synonymous in terms of the harmony and, and uh, they're both beautiful ballads and they're, they're, there's a little bit of a cool blues tinge to each one. So it's just there's a, a bit of a pair. climax there at the end of the yeah, five minutes exactly. or so. Yeah. That's a good call. I like that. I like that combination. Very well done. We've talked about those two songs kind of being kindred spirits before in uh uh, more succinct terms. Uh, those are three thoughts from each of us. Uh, I'm curious. I'm sure you guys are thinking about all these combinations of your own, and I'd love to know what they are. So go ahead and pop them into the comments. And uh, next time we do one of these weeks from now, perhaps we will just choose the ones that you guys have chosen and right. figure out why those work, why those work together. But for now, let's move on to our lyric of the week. Lyric of the week. This week, we're going back to Riot Act and the album opener. It's Can't Keep. I want to rise say goodnight. I want to take a look on the other side. I've all these It's been wonderful Oh, 
Okay, Paul, so we've got uh, the back end of the song, Can't Keep. What do you think of this? So th- this was a Uke track that uh, ended up on the Uke album, but it, it, I think it's, it's one of those songs that was interesting to hear because we, we, had, we were already familiar with it, obviously, in the sense that we had heard it on Riot Act. Um, unlike a song like uh, Sleeping By Myself, where Brendan O'Brien said, no, this, this is a Pearl Jam song. It was the other way around here, where mm-hmm. we had a Pearl Jam song that perhaps Eddie felt was really more suited to be uh, to to just be stripped down with himself and the ukulele. Uh, the The song itself was an interesting opening <clears throat> to an art rock record like um, like Riot Act. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas happening here. Uh, one thing that really comes out for me is is this this sentiment that life may not be something that somebody it, it, it could be something that some folks really struggle to hold on to not because of, of addiction and things like that but just the mental will to hold on to it could be a, a struggle whether it, it's because you, you are emotionally devastated or because you're just it, you're, you physically are enduring a toll and you just don't know how much longer you can hold on you know i, I think of, of those who are terminally ill in situations like that and i think with a song like this when you when you have a set of lyrics like this um they really speak to this idea like i want to rise and say a good night right i want i want to just exit this 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 temporal place this uh this earthly body um and i want to see what lies beyond you know i i want to look on the other side i've lived all those lives it's been wonderful tonight i will live forever you can't keep me here um but at the same time i i don't know necessarily if it's if it has to always be perceived in in some sort of dark suicidal way um it can be obviously uh, and, and perhaps when it was written that's what it was tinged in you know mm-hmm. what i mean that 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 that's how it was marinated with, with dark thoughts like that but uh, more than anything else i think it's just how difficult it is when you're in a dark place like that and the curiosity of what lies beyond can be really really tempting um and it's interesting how questions can frustrate us so when we're alive to the point where we start to lose hope and Mm. yet uh it's the very it's those very same questions that perhaps in our hour of death are the one things that bring us peace because we're on the very precipice of perhaps finding answers it's a good way to say it um and you kind of led me to um the the my my first couple of notes here and you know this episode was about song couplets combinations Uh of songs that work together for whatever reason here's here's a bonus for me if there ever was a song in a verse really to link up well with immortality it's this yeah. some die just to live it seems to gel pretty well with i will live forever you can't keep me here mm-hmm. um the thing for me is you know this was written eight or nine years later you know what was going on in ed's world that would make him feel this way if yeah. we're going to be negative about it uh remember immortality isn't about kurt but it's about a character on a you know quote parallel train According to Eddie, some have suggested he was talking about himself, which doesn't seem far-fetched. So I got to thinking about this. 
And the first part there perhaps is about being beaten down or held down by the pressures of who he is, who who the band is. Um, you know, this is right after he divorces Beth that he writes this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, a lot happening around this time. Um, this was written after Ross skilled, so there's another gut punch. You know, all these things kind of bring you to your knees. Um, it could make him or anyone just be exhausted with all that life can do to a person. That maybe there's that curiosity, as you mentioned, about the next chapter. Yeah. He literally says the words other side in that line there. And then Jeff goes and writes a song called other side in the same sessions. I wonder if there was a bit of uh collaboration or some, maybe some, uh, some of that uh, juju is leeching off into uh, Jeff's mind as, as, as that was being written or recorded at least. Uh-huh. Um, but it's no wonder this song, as you said, which we later see on, on ukulele songs capture the band's imagination and was worked into a full Pearl Jam song. But then there's this, gratefulness in the second part an acknowledgement um of all the phases of his career in pearl jam yeah and and you know before that the struggling in bad radio struggling to figure out who he was within his family you know made it especially difficult when they all went back to chicago and he stayed back in san diego um an appreciation for it all with the you know it's been wonderful line, but then there's that nod to immortality. I will live forever. You can't keep me here. That is just dark. It's just dark and it's foreboding. It's in considering it's not the first time he's sung that a, a little disconcerting. Maybe it's why that song hasn't been played in over eight years. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Ed has finally kind of left that headspace. Um, I mean, after all, Riot Act is a dark, depressing record, and, and diving into these lyrics deeper really emphasizes why they chose this song to start the record off. Yeah. So, again, another song that I I knew it was being said, but but kind of let it just kind of fly past me um, as I was listening to the music, because again, I am a music first kind of person. But this exercise allows me to kind of really blinders on focus on what's being written here. And it's again, I now have a greater appreciation for the song because I like that. There is something a little bit deeper here that I wasn't really focusing on before. Yeah. Fascinating too, that a song like you are shows up on the same record. huh? I know I I didn't have a note there, but I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, you are, how the hell does that, how does that get on this record? And then you like, but down can't get on. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're both uplifting. Like any rate um can't keep a song that is um i don't want to say not popular but it's uh definitely not some not, not it's not a song that people are hollering for making signs for let's put it that way yeah uh nevertheless there is a best live version of this song and we're going to find out right now in our live cut of the week ready So can't keep only been played 25 times. Like I said, it's been over eight years since they last played it. Uh, where and when, Paul? Uh, we're going to Tokyo, March 3rd, 2003. 
Every time we choose a track off Riot Act and it comes from Japan, it's it's easily the right choice because, and for this song especially, there's something so intimate about the Japanese shows, 2003. Maybe it was just mm-hmm. the way that the crowd um, takes in the show and how they react or don't react, um, or in combination with how the show was recorded and mic'd and mixed. It's just very, very intimate. And I feel like this song is one of the more intimate songs in the catalog, let alone the record. And so it really works here. Uh, also, for me, there's some really interesting stuff I mic in the background, as well as the outro. It's not like a guitar solo, but more like kind of like fluttering, dancing lead lines that are just really, really cool that I don't think I've heard before in the track. So I like this choice a lot. 
Good. As do I, my good man. It's also the engineering and the, the mixing are outstanding on these. Uh, yeah, Japan these Japanese shows well. just always sounded really, really good. And yeah. I remember this was the first tour where I, because now we all were hip to the fact that they were doing all these bootlegs, mm-hmm. that when the tour was announced and it started, I was standing by my, my computer, my, my, my Dell laptop, just waiting for those. I forget where I even got it, like PearlJamBootlegs.org or Five Horizons had some links somewhere. I don't I remember what it was, but uh, Two Feet Thick. And you'd, you'd find the link and you listen to it like the day I came out in just in my dorm room and thinking to myself, wow, these shows sound because they were these were after Australia, right? It was Australia first. I think so. Yeah. I and think they went so. to Japan. And I'm like, well, these these sound different. There's a different vibe yeah. going on here. Yeah. Cool. There you go. Uh, episode 130, Paul, in the books. And guess what? 130. Halloween's coming up, man. Our next show. I don't know. We might have to take us some dark turns. Ooh, 131. 31. Yeah. October 31st. We planned it, guys. We planned it two and a half years ago, or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, again, uh, thank you to all the listeners. We appreciate you guys um, as this show continues to grow. Uh, if you feel inclined to um, show any extra support, you, you certainly can by uh, joining Patreon. The link is in our bio or getting a T-shirt for yourself or anyone, really. Uh, and if you want a free copy of No Code, there's a very easy way to do that. And you have you have until October 28th to prove it by doing. Just feed that algorithm, guys. That's all you got to do. Rate, review, subscribe. That's it. That's all you got to do. Walk in the park. Peace, kick. Yeah, it's easier than, than than stealing candy from a trick or treater. Just rate, review, and subscribe. If you're already subscribing, even easier. Just rate, review. If you can't review, then just rate. It, it, everybody wins. I, I always look forward to the ending of these shows now to see how you're gonna switch up your your sales job of of rating and reviewing and subscribing. <laughs> that was a treat for me. Hey, I am excited to give to give this album away. The good listeners told me I should sell it and use it to buy batteries, and I didn't. Batteries are expensive, man. <laughs> they are. Lithium, I'll tell you what. Oh, God. All right, enough from us. Uh, again, a thank you to Tony, Tony, oh my God, Tony, Lupe, Darren for the gallery in Whittier, California, Clinton's Framing. Go check them out. Awesome stuff. I may or may not be trying to buy one of the posters on the walls. <laughs> it was tempting. I'm missing. Uh, so, yes. Thank you to those guys, and uh, we'll see you next week for possibly a Halloween-themed episode. I like it. And the announcement of the winner of that no-code vinyl, so stick around for that next week. You got a week. You got a week. If you're listening right now, time is still on your side. Well, you have like three days. Hey. (laughs) We got to record this thing after all. That's true. Yeah. Anyways, until uh, we see you next week on this show, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.